You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Let's get to it. Take your Bibles and turn to Philemon, the book of Philemon. And ushers are coming forward with Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, um, raise your hand. They would love to get one of those in your hand so you can follow along. If you do not have a Bible at home in your uh, possession, please take that Bible home with you as a gift from the Lord to you, uh, to you. and it is a privilege for us to be able to supply those, and, and uh, so take, that, take the Word of God and allow God's Word to tra- transform your mind, your thinking, your life. Um, the book of Philemon, it's a hard book to find because it's so short, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. So if you get to Hebrews, which is a thicker, a little bit of a thicker book, you've gone a bit too far. So first, second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then we get to Hebrews. And so, um, so the book of Philemon. Now, I wonder if you have ever said or ever felt, I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. Perhaps it was on your wedding day and it was like, I'm just not ready for this. I'm not sure I'm, I'm ready for this. I remember hearing the words from, from, from Charlotte that she was pregnant with our first child, and I was like, huh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And I was so thankful that we had just under nine months to prepare, from, prepare for that. And then I remember holding our little daughter in, 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 in my arms, and I just thought, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. Have you ever felt that way? I, I'm sure you have in, in all kinds of different things. When we get unsettling, disturbing news, and we think, I'm not ready whether it's that health diagnosis or, 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 or whatever it might be that comes our way when we see what's going on in the world and we just think, what is, what is happening? So I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to, to see all of these things unfold and take place in the way that we are seeing it. Well, a call to forgive someone who is deeply wronged and has deeply offended you, your first an initial reaction can easily be, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this yet. Well, today, Philemon, this great man of faith, this refresher of people, as we saw last week, finds himself in a very awkward situation. And his response upon being given the opportunity to extend forgiveness could have easily have been, I'm not ready. I'm not sure I'm ready for this. And we saw last week that Philemon and his wife, Aphia, hosted a church in their home. And quite possibly it was their son that was the pastor of that church. And Philemon had been wronged. He had been offended by one of his now former employees, a slave by the name of Onesimus. And he had stolen from him and then he ran off, probably never ever thinking he would see him again. Now, sometime later... We don't know how things went down, but it may have gone like this. It's a Sunday morning, and the church is gathering in Colossae, in Philemon and Aphia's house, at Hope Bible Church Colossae. Perhaps that was the name. Parents had just finished checking their kids into Hope Nursery and Hope Kids, and Pastor Archippus was just up giving a few opening remarks and, and, and opened in prayer and was just going to turn it open for worship when two men come walking in the back door. It's Tychicus, the Apostle Paul's faithful letter carrier and assistant for many years. Haven't seen him in ages. It's Tychicus and, and Onesimus, 
the thief, the runaway. There's a slight gasp in the back of the congregation as these two men are standing at the door. Philemon and Aphia are sitting up at the front, enjoying the service that has just begun, unaware that these two have entered the service. Tychicus, from the back, he speaks up and he, he comes walking to the front and says, I bring greetings from the Apostle Paul who is still in chains in Rome. But he has given me these two letters, and he has two scrolls in his hand. One is thicker, and one is quite a bit thinner. And he says, I have two letters from the Apostle Paul. He wrote these letters for you here in Colossae. And Pastor Archippus is excited to see Tychicus, and he's like, wonderful, wonderful. Why don't you read them right now? And so Tychicus takes, and he says, I'll start with the shorter one first. Then we'll break for coffee, and then we'll get into the second letter. And as Tychicus turns and he faces the audience, he can see Onesimus standing in the back, looking rather uncertain. And so he starts reading these words. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, and he looks at Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, and our sister, Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, the pastor, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. By this point, Philemon sitting in the front is feeling a little kind of uncomfortable, but he's also tearing up over these kind words that the Apostle Paul is expressing towards him. But Tychicus continues to read, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, Philemon is starting to think, okay, what's he talking about? His face gets a little flushed, and he's like, what's he going to be asking? What's he going to be asking? What does he want? Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. He's like, what? I haven't heard, heard from him in ages. I be, whose, whose father I became in my imprison, imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he indeed is useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord." For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you. A while he was parted, that, he might, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Philemon turns around at this point, and he sees Onesimus, standing at the back, and there is this odd gulp in his throat. So if you consider me my partner 
Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want to come. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will graciously be given to you. He then goes on and continues to finish the final uh, farewells to the, in this letter. But Philemon doesn't hear anything more. And when the letter is finished, the room is this dead quiet. This tension in the room is palpable. Now, if we were just to pause this story at this point right here, Paul, in writing this letter, is making a huge ask. He's asking Philemon to forgive the runaway, the thief, the, the one who's committed a crime, who's deserted his post, his job, and his employer, his master. And what he had done was punishable. It was punishable with a prison sentence, even death, if he so wanted to. Philemon's initial response might be similar to ours in that, I'm not ready. I'm not sure I'm ready for this yet. Well, today, in looking at these verses and concentrating in verses 8 to 16, I believe that we can see three vital truths, and I encourage you to write these down because I believe these are crucial in our next steps as in our faith journey in Jesus Christ, the next steps for us as a church. For love's sake, we forgive. For love's sake, we forgive because it's what we do. It is what we do. Now, this book of the Bible does not come across very doctrinal. It doesn't seem to have a lot of deep theology. There's no big theological words. It's a very personal letter that is written from the heart. And yet, the letter is filled with theological, if you want to call it my new favorite word, girth. It is just filled with this girth to it. It has strong doctrinal underpinnings that, that outlines the forgiveness that God calls you and me to grant to one another. And Paul assumes that Philemon was aware of the forgiveness that already he has experienced between himself and God. He knows that Philemon is a man who has, understand, has understood God's amazing grace in his life through Jesus Christ. And he believes and he knows he's already aware of the forgiveness that he now ought to grant to someone like Onesimus. You can know this in your head. You can know it in the word of God. You can know these truths. You, you know what is the right thing, the biblical thing to do, and yet we oftentimes don't do it. Sometimes it's, we know it in our head, but we won't follow through because our heart is screaming out, I'm not ready. Philemon would have been well aware of the principles in God's word and the commands like we have in Ephesians 4, 31, 32. Like in verse 32 where it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We are to forgive others. How does that go again? Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. How God in Christ has forgiven you and me. And I love this quote from Spurgeon. As far as God is concerned, your sin has ceased to be. 
Let that sink in. As far as God is concerned, your sin has ceased to be. Listen to these truths about what happens to our sin, what God has done through Christ to our sin. Colossians 2.14, God canceled the record debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Then he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our sins and all of the demands and all of the punishables that is coming our way because of our sin was nailed to the cross. Acts 13.38, that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Micah chapter 7, verse 19, God has compassion on us. He treads on our iniquities. He casts all our sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Hebrews 8.12 and, and Isaiah 43.25 both says that he remembers our sins no more. He blots out our transgressions. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, loved one, watching online or here in the hall with us for this gathering, if you are in Jesus Christ, meaning that by faith you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ to save your Lord, believing that his death on the cross provided the needed and the substitutionary sacrifice, the atonement for us so that we can have right standing with God, that it was Jesus in our place. And when we ask him to forgive us our sins and we commit him to be our Lord and to be our Savior, you are no longer defined by your past. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are His forever. And if this has happened to you truly from the heart, it's going to be evident as you grow in the months and the years that follow, not perfectly, but progressively in the area of gospel growth, in fruitfulness, in Christ-likeness, in having a softness towards the Word of God and desire to honor and to live for Him. Our sins, oh, they are many, but His mercy is more. His, sin, his mercy is greater than any of our sin. Any of the deep hole that you may find yourself in today, believer, His mercy is more. That is the God that He is. And so we forgive. Why? Because it's what we do. Because God in Christ forgives us. And we know that according to Matthew chapter 6, 15, that refusing to forgive someone Withholding forgiveness means God won't forgive us. We forego the forgiveness of God when we forego the forgiveness of a brother or sister. Now, this is not about the believer standing before God because that is already has been set if you are in Christ. This is not a loss of salvation, but you know what it's a loss of? It's a loss of power. It's a loss of strength. It's a loss of victory. It's a loss of experiencing God's presence and power in your life. When we refuse to forgive, our relationship with God is hindered. Here is something else that unforgiveness causes. It renders us unfit for worship. Oh, you can sing. You can sing and you can even get the tingles when it's your favorite song and it just feels really good and you hear the room full of people and you can be moved emotionally. 
but it hinders your true worship. It hinders the work that God wants to do in your life. In, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, if there's an offense between you and someone else and you're gathered for worship, leave the worship facility. Leave and go make that right and then come back and truly worship. This is what we are called to do and to be, that we are called to be forgivers. We are called to forgive. Now, Paul could have easily simply commanded Philemon to forgive and says, hey, Philemon, I know your heart. I know you know this in your head. And so I want, I, I command you, forgive Onesimus. But does he do that? He doesn't do that. He could have used his apostolic authority, and he had some of that, didn't he? In other places, he set the record straight. In other places, he used his apostolic authority, but not here. He's not forcing him. He desires that he would forgive from the heart. Let's face it, forced apologies just don't work, do they? I mean, it's a joke in so many ways, but we do it, right? I remember my parents, what do you say to your sister? I'm sorry, because it meant that I wouldn't get disciplined even further than I already deserved. What did I do as a father? Nate, what do you say to your sister? I'm sorry. Did you mean it? Yes. Liar. Go to your room. You know, I mean, that's just the way we are, right? We, we think that, you know, and, and then we as parents, we walk, about, walk back, we sit on the couch, and another problem solved. You know, parent of the year, daddy, daddy awards for me. I got them to kiss and make up. It doesn't work. And Paul knew that. He wasn't going to like, I force you, Philemon, you forgive Onesimus. But instead, he appeals to him for love's sake. Accordingly, it says in, in verse 8, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, underline that in your Bibles, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. Philemon, for love's sake, forgive, because it's what we do. Because Christ, has for, that God has forgiven us in Christ, in all that he has done. I saw this quote this week, I just love it. My problem is, I want to follow Jesus and I want to slap people too. You know, isn't that true? I mean, don't you just wish, I mean, sometimes, okay, so, you, so any of you in psychology classes, you're like, okay, Melvin, you've got some psychological issues. Yes, I do. I would be a textbook case of something weird, that's for sure. But isn't that true for all of us? Like, you know, I want to follow Jesus, but man, if I could just slap a few people to smarten up and get thinking rightly or wrongly or whatever, you know, whatever it might be, come on. The culture then, the culture today, the flesh then, the flesh today says, make them pay, hold the grudge, hold out on them, make them grovel, make them squirm, make them pay for what they did. Jesus said in John 13, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. He didn't say, make them pay, a new command I give to you, make them pay a little bit, make them hurt, make it sting. He doesn't say, hold a grudge. He doesn't say, make, make them grovel. He says, forgive. I read this quote this week, which is much better than that last one. It's, we are never more like Jesus than when we forgive. You want to be like Jesus? Forgive. You will never be more like Jesus than when you forgive someone. Secondly, for love's sake, we forgive because there is more to the story than my offense. A number of weeks ago after church, we drove off quickly to Abbotsford to attend a funeral for my brother-in-law's father who had passed away. 
At the funeral, there was my brother-in-law's sister who lives in the States with her family. And we had met them years ago, just when their kids were little and our kids were little and, 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 and haven't seen them or heard much of them since, since. But then they were at this funeral. And it was so strange to see them, and especially their kids, 10, 12, 13 years later, I don't know how long it was, and all of a sudden when I saw them, I'm like, whoa! Because for some reason, I froze those kids in time. I just kind of still thought they would be just these little gaffers, these little, you know, nerdy Americans or, you know, whatever, from what I remember from visiting them, you know, seeing them at my sister's place um, a number of years ago in Abbotsford. And all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, that boy is tall. Hair's a little long, too. And just inside voice, you know, thinking that. And, and, and daughter, like, they're in college? Like, what happened? When, when I heard that they would be there and I hear my nieces talking about their cousins who live in the States, I still thought these little kids that would just be playing on their um, uh, iPods, you know, because that's what they were on back then, probably. These kids had grown up. And sometimes it's like that, isn't it? We, we go to a certain place and, and it's like we, or, or certain people, we just kind of freeze them in time and we just kind of hold it there. Speaking of time and aging, I, I came across a picture of me two years ago. This was me two years ago before COVID. Great picture, hey? Young, happy. Here's one this past week. Yeah, yeah you know, aging kind of has something to do. And, and, and I know so, and some of you are thinking, he looks a lot like his father. Yes, I know. I was just like, oh, man, that's scary. Anyways, you can take that off, please. Anyways, um, here's the thing. We can easily freeze people in certain situations, and we like to especially freeze people in their sin, in their offense, and we keep them there. And it's like we've pressed the pause button on a video, and all we see on the screen, on the image in our mind, is that person, what they said, what they did. And, or, or else it's like a video that just has that automatically, I don't know, if I think on Instagram sometimes, if there's a video playing, it'll just keep replaying it, replaying it, replaying it, replaying it, replaying it. And sometimes that happens in our minds, doesn't it, over things that have happened, whether that was days ago, weeks ago, years ago decades ago even, and it's just replaying, replaying, replaying. We have it paused, we have it frozen, we have it on replay mode. I wonder if Philemon could have easily have done that with Onesimus. Every time he hears the name of that slave, that runaway, that thief, I can't believe what he did. I was so good to him. I was such a good employer. And look at how he treated me. How dare he do something like that? And Paul, in writing to Philemon, wanted to let him know, hey, there's more to the story than the offense. Philemon, there's more happening here. Look at verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. This one's useless guy has changed, Paul wanted him to know. He's become one of us. God's changed him and is continuing to change him. Formerly, he was useless to you. Now, there's an interesting play on word here on the name Onesimus. You know what the name Onesimus literally means? You know what the meaning of that? We heard meanings of the boys' names today. You know what Onesimus means? It means useful. His name means useful. So think about this. Useful became useless, but now has become double useless. Or useful, W, I better say that right. I'm sure he was double useless for a while as well. But now he's become so useful. 
And Paul wants Philemon to know it's the real deal. This is a true change that has happened. I can vouch for him. This guy has changed. And so Philemon unfreeze him. Take him off the pause button because the change in him is legit. Look at what he says, verse 12. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. That word, we saw it last week, verse 7. We're going to see it again next week, Lord willing. But we see it here again in verse 12. He says, I'm sending my very heart. That word for heart is splachna. It's a graphic. It's an explicit word. It means from the core. And last week we talked about how Paul, when he thought about Philemon and his, his impact, it was like, oh, Philemon, who just awesome what you, who you are, just, it it literally means from the bowels of tender mercy. This is that richness, and and he's saying, I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. You got to get this, man. I am just, my splash knot is all over this letter. (laughs) That sounds pretty gross. This guy's changed. God's at work. He's the real deal. It's awesome, and that's why I'm sending him back to you today. But let's face it, not every story ends like this. Not every story ends around the campfire with everyone singing kumbaya and getting along. The offender doesn't always return. They don't get saved. Or perhaps the person is a fellow believer even and and still professes Christ and, and yet they don't admit they're wrong, they're hurt, they're sin. Even after it's been pointed out to them, they're just they justify it or they excuse it in one way or another. They've said things, they've done things, and, and, and life just seems to now go on for them. They seem successful, and they seem blessed, and they say all the right things. And it's like, you're sitting there, you've been hurt, you've been discouraged, you, you don't know what to do because of them. Years ago, we were thoroughly disappointed and hurt and lied to, um, in particular by a church leader, leaving us feeling incredibly raw and hurt Only in the days that followed our last interaction with this leader to see him rise to to, to prominence in his ministry, in his career. And that was hard. It was hard to see that. And yet it's in these situations we must remember that there is more to the offender than the offense. That God is at work even when it seems there is no change. And the place where God is most at work, it's in me. God is wanting to do a work in me even when the offender seems to not care or acknowledge their their wrongdoing or their hurt. It's knowing that God is moving life and events forward after either bringing them closer to repentance and forgiveness, perhaps towards salvation, God is at work even in the offender's life. Or God is working and moving them towards justice, to the repercussions facing them, facing whether that's certain consequences for their pride and stubborn refusal to own and to ask for or to extend forgiveness. We have to remember what God's word says in Romans. The Lord says, I will repay. He says, I will avenge. I I will pay back to those. I will judge fairly. It's letting God be God and letting us resign from thinking that we are God and making all the calls. I wonder today, who might you need to unfreeze? 
what situation is on pause and it's on the screen of your mind on your thinking? What events do you keep replaying? You keep replaying the tape, the conversation, the events over and over and over again. And sadly, at times, when I hear people say, well, I've forgiven them, I've forgiven them. But then they can recall and they can rehearse the details and get worked up and emotionally get stirred to anger, to tears as they describe these events like they happened yesterday. And here they happen weeks or months or years or decades ago. Well, I've forgiven. No, 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 you haven't. Years ago, that same ministry nightmare that we walked through, we owned what we needed to own and what we could own with others, but there was still a lot of outstanding, unresolved hurts and issues like this one I just previously described. And I was challenged by a pastor to make a list, to make a list of people who, who I had an offense with, to write down their names of those who I knew I needed to forgive, that I had issues, I had bitterness, I had unforgiveness towards. And I took that list out onto the backside of the mountain, there behind our house to this rock that months before I had stumbled upon one day. And during that season in, for me, it was taking that list of people to the foot of the cross, the cross in the rock, and just, Lord, I choose to forgive. It meant getting on my knees. God, I choose to forgive. Please give me your strength to live out that forgiveness. By faith, it was a prayer like this, I believe your ways are best. So even through forgiveness, though, it, though forgiveness isn't natural to me, I choose it. Holy Spirit, please empower me to do what I cannot do on my own. Help me to forgive as God in Christ forgave me. Every day, taking that list. And this is where when Jesus was talking about, you don't forgive just seven times. The, 70, the seven times 70, the 490 times. This is where that scripture kicks in. Where we need to continue to forgive over and over. And slowly, you know what? That list, it was probably eight to ten people. That list slowly dwindled. And then some names got added to it. And then a few days later, some names that had been off the list for a while got added because of certain events or certain memory, certain thoughts that the enemy was just digging up again. I knew I needed to forgive yet again. And this needs and has been in many ways a continual practice in my life. It's a continual practice for us all. That prayer, uh, that prayer, that uh, example prayer will be in your uh, study guide that will be posted on the online lobby or in the email on Tuesday. Sometime later, I ran into one of those individuals in a store, in a grocery store. I saw him coming. We did that awkward eye kind of, you know, that eye lock just for a second. And it's like, you could just, oh, it's you. Oh, it's you. And, and you do what you do. You just go walking by each other, just looking at the deals on the shelf. And as he went by, I took and I grabbed his arm. And I said, hey, how are you doing? It wasn't for being vengeful or anything. It was... Hey, how are you doing? And we got talking and asked about his family, and he started to cry, and he said, my family's not doing well, and he went on to explain some things. By this time, Charlotte came into the conversation, and we talked a little bit more, and I said, hey, why don't we pray together? And we prayed for his family. Didn't bring up the issues, because as far as I'm concerned, I'm done with him. It was forgiven. It was gone. 
I was able to pray for him, and my heart hurt for him and continued to pray for him afterwards. I walked away from that situation knowing I was free. Forgiveness had happened. All glory to God, not to Melden Lutzer. That's God. And I wonder who or what situation do you need to unfreeze today? And stop pressing the repeat button. In the situations that seem like there's no change, no hope for change, God is still working. He's working on them one way or another, but he's also working on you. He's working on me, taking us deeper into his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. This is where James chapter 1 kicks in. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God is growing, producing Endurance, humility, love in us as his children. Thirdly, and finally today, for love's sake we forgive because we can rest in God's providence. There's more to the story. Isn't that Paul Harvey who used to say that? The rest of the story. Well, the rest of the story that we have here for Onesimus and Philemon, Paul tries to take it to that next level, verse 15. He says, for perhaps... For this, perhaps, is why he parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. That word, perhaps, there in verse 15 is beautiful. Encourage you to underline it because you know what that just just, just resonates of? It resonates of God's providence. Paul is saying, I want you to see God's hand perhaps in all of this in a way that you normally wouldn't see. I want you to see God's providence. And perhaps this is what God is doing. And he goes on to explain it. He's working in this situation that you were once apart. You you were once together, but it wasn't so good. Then you were apart and it was really bad. But now you're together and it's really good. Yes, Onesimus chose his path, his departure. But God was even at work in that as well God was at work in his return. And you see, our lives, even this crazy world, everything going on today in Ukraine, in Russia, in Europe, in Canada, in the United States, all throughout this world, nothing is just haphazard, just kind of bobbing around in the sea of chance, and God's in full control. It's under his tutelage, under his providence. What Onesimus meant for evil and for self-indulgence God meant and allowed and brought much good. Philemon assumed that Onesimus was gone for good. He was gone forever. But as Paul says in verse 15, no, gone for a while so that you might have him back for good forever. That word forever is where we get the word eons from. Eons in time. You hear that statement? That means indefinite, immeasurable period of time. Temporary situation Separation that took place would lead to a reunion there in the Hope Bible Church Colossae that day, but it would mean to a reunion that would be forever in eternity because they were brothers in Christ. This story reminds us that there are no hopeless cases or situations, but it's hard to see that at times with life coming towards us, isn't it? We see the events, we see the hurt, we see the video playing in the windshield of our 
of our minds, of our lives, and we see what's going on in Ukraine. We see what's going on in COVID. We see all these different things, and it's hard to compute and to make sense of it all. But God is at work. But oftentimes, we don't see it in the windshield, but it's in the rearview mirror where we get the perspective, where we see, ah, look at what he was doing. Look at how God has come through. Look at what God has done. Look at what he's up to. An old Puritan saying goes like this, providence is the soft pillow for an anxious heart, for anxious heads. God's providence, God's working, God's sovereignty is that soft pillow for us to lay our weary and our anxious heads upon. It's coming to rest with the truth that God's ways are higher than our ways, Isaiah 55. It's believing, Romans 8, 28, that for those who love God, who are called by God, he works half the things in your life together for good. Right? Half. Is it? You say, heretic. (laughs) All things together for our good. You say, but I don't see it. I can't see it. I don't know how any good could ever come from this. But I'm going to trust you, God. My resolve is to trust and to rest in you. May God's providence be that soft pillow for me to put my anxious head down on tonight. And even with the events we are seeing played out in Ukraine today, where is this all headed? This morning, I, I mean, you look at the news. This thing could be going nuclear. And all the things that we've been dealing with in our nation in the last two years, I mean, look how it's aged all of you as well. I mean, (laughs) huge leadership issues in our world, in Canada, the United States. The windshield of God's word tells us this thing is coming to an end. And and that the days before the end, the days before Christ's return are going to become very difficult. And we are starting to see that intensify. And as we sang in the service earlier today, I mean, we were saying, even so come, Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming like a bride waiting for her groom will be a church ready for you. This This message today is about getting the bride ready. Are you ready for Christ's return? Well, yes, I've I've given my heart to... Are you ready for what could be coming down the pipe for us? Are you end times ready? This message is all... It's about preparing our hearts. Someone might think, well, why why don't you preach on end times? About getting us ready. This message prepares us to hear the word of God to get us ready. Because the sad thing is the bride of Christ is stained with unforgiveness and bitterness. People, brothers and sisters, flesh brothers and sisters who won't talk to each other. Brothers and sisters in Christ who won't talk to each other because of offenses that have taken taken place. This is how God prepares the bride and gets us ready. God longs for a pure bride, a forgiving, loving, extending, and receiving a forgiveness. That's the bride he's preparing. That's the bride we need to be. Let's bow our heads. Before we pray here, I just... And then as Brett sings a song over us, I wonder who or what situation needs to be released today. You need to unfreeze. You need to stop holding your finger on the pause button. And you need to let God be God. 
Where does grace need to be applied? Where do you need to come and rest in the providence of God's grace? Where do you need to put your head on that soft pillow? Because fear, anxiety, the unknown, whether that's your finances, health, world situations, the anger that you have, the bitterness that you have, what needs to be put down and let go of today? Where do you need to rest your weary head? Oh God, I pray that even now that you would prepare your bride. That through repentance, through forgiveness, through releasing those who we may have issue, who have hurt us, who have offended us, and in areas where we know we have been the offender, would we return like Onesimus? Would we return to the offense, to the offender, and see sweet fellowship, sweet restoration, sweet reconciliation take place? Because you are the God who has set that example, who has done that first through Jesus Christ. God, set us free. Set us free to love, to forgive. God, I pray that you would work in each one of us, even now in an attitude of of prayer. Just You can look at the lyrics or just have them sung all over you, and later on you'll be invited to join. Let's do that business with God. Let's do this, bride, bride of Christ. Let's do this.